You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 267 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. Today is World UFO Day. This is a day for people to gather together and watch the skies for unidentified flying objects. Yet I feel there is a lot of unidentified stuff down here on Earth. One such thing is what's going on in the Vatican. In this episode my guest is Frederick Martel and we will be discussing his book In the Closet of the Vatican, Power, Homosexuality, Hypocrisy. Frederick Martel interviewed many many cardinals and bishops and he argues that an overwhelming majority of priests and bishops serving in the Vatican are gay and they are either secretly having sex with men or they repress their desires. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do? So I, I live in Paris, where I am right now. I'm uh, a journalist uh, working for National Public Radio. It's a it's national uh, official public radio. I have a, a weekly show, so which also in podcast. We have uh, 25 million people listening to us every week, so it's pretty big as a, as a radio station. Uh, I'm also an academic, so I'm a professor in a university in Zurich, actually in Switzerland. In my specificity is mainly I work on creative economy, creative industry, cultural policy. And uh, in addition, I, um, I wrote a book, and I, I wrote uh, this book called... Uh, Sodoma in many languages and also in the closet of the Vatican in English, which is a book about uh, the gay and homosexual question in in the Vatican. So, uh, my first question would be then: uh, Do is it because I haven't had the, the opportunity to read the, the book yet, but I've always felt that there was a problem with forcing priests to be celibate and I was thinking maybe that would increase their urges and that's why you have so many cases of of uh, abuse in, 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 in the Catholic Church. Did you cover this in your book? You know, the I, 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 I think that um, so a journalist and a writer is not a judge so we, uh, we I don't have an agenda, I don't want to change the church, I don't think um, uh, that's our job. So answering your question in a way, it's to enter, uh, to to take a position to try to to have this change. If you ask me personally, I will agree with you. I think, I think the the celibacy, the chastity, is uh, counternatural. It's profoundly. Um, uh, it has. It makes no sense today. And actually, it's not even in the Bible. It's not even in the Evangels. It has been created uh, in the Middle Age for reasons that have no link with the the, the Bible. And uh, and in addition, it's uh, it's it's not working. I mean, we know 
in uh, Latin America, for example, where I worked, that um, nobody uh, in the in a large number of villages and uh, and especially in Colombia, in Bolivia, in Peru, in Chile, in Ecuador, in the mountain, in the villages, priests are married and uh, they have a girlfriend. They quite often live with their girlfriend. It's known. Uh, sometimes they are married uh, with another priest. It's kind of an exchange. And even the, when they are not married, they they basically um, uh, have girls, women, wife. It's the same in uh, in the Oriental world. I mean, in Lebanon, seventy percent of the priests are officially married. In uh, Iraq, in Syria, in Jordan, in Egypt, as well, uh, because in the Oriental churches, Catholic churches, officially Catholic churches. Priests can be married. So we see that basically it's, it doesn't exist and it doesn't work at all. Uh, and in big cities, like actually in, uh, in Bogota, in Mexico, in um, Buenos Aires, in Paris, uh, mainly the people, uh, the priests are gay and they have boyfriends. So girlfriend in the rural uh, territories, boyfriend in the big cities. So you see that chastity is, is a lie. It's a lie everywhere. And of course, when the people uh, are not married, when they don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, they they pretend to be chaste. But after a while, uh, you know, you can be chaste at 15 and 20. And then one day, maybe sometimes when you're 50, suddenly something is wrong. And this is, it's not the only explanation, but that's one of the explanation of the scandals of the sexual abuse. You were you right on that. So if homosexuality is quite common in the Catholic Church, why do they keep having this anti-homosexuality agenda in their sermons and in their preaching? Uh, first of all, I didn't say that homosexuality is everywhere. I mean, a lot of priests are uh, heterosexual with a girlfriend, as I said before. So, uh, and and even for the gay one, when I say a priest or a bishop or a cardinal is gay, it's gay because you're homosexual. It means if you have sex, it will be with a man. But I think some of them, uh, for example, some pope, I think probably Benedict XVI, I'm, I'm pretty sure he is homosexual, but I'm also pretty sure that he doesn't act. He never had probably sex with a man. So in a way, uh, you can be homosexual, but not necessarily acting, not uh, being active. And to answer your question, I would say, you know, it, it looks like a contradiction to be uh, gay and homophobic. And a lot of people can say, you see, it's... Um, it's very uh, bizarre. It is not. In fact, it's not a contradiction. It's a consequence. Because you are gay and in the closet, you have to be homophobic in public to show that you're not gay. And that's not something new. We have known forever, if you take the books of Marcel Proust, very famous writer, for example, or if you take Hoover, Hoover, the former FBI director, he was gay. He spent his life uh, with his boyfriend, who was a deputy at the FBI. 
And at the same time, he was blackmailing people about sexuality and homosexuality. He, he tried to know everything about who is gay and why, and he, he was extremely homophobic. So it's a very traditional way. When a gay is in the closet, he's quite often very homophobic. I will add another point. We are not speaking, when we discuss the Vatican, we are not speaking of people like you and me. Uh, we are not in the 2020, we are not in the 20th century, 21st century. We still are in the 1950s or in the 1940s. We are with people that are thinking the homosexuality as they were thinking that when they were 20 years old, 70 years ago. All of them are very old. I mean, the majority of the cardinals are more than 65, 70, quite often 75. And I met many of them that were 80, 85, even two or three that were 94, 90, 95. So when you speak with these people, which are the majority of the cardinals, you're not speaking about gay pride, about, uh, about coming out, about uh, being gay or queer studies. We are thinking in the way of homosexuality was in 1940s. And you need to understand that if you want to understand the Vatican. So how did you manage to get all these people in the Catholic Church to speak with you? You know, it's, that's, that's my, my, my job. I've done many books already. Uh, this one in the closet of the Vatican, uh, Sodoma, was done for five years. I decided to live in Rome and to spend one week every month in Rome for four years. And I entered step by step. I met the people. I never lied. I mean, everybody knew my real name. Everybody knew that I was uh, working on a book on the Vatican. And if you would have, uh, they would have Googled me in two minutes. They would have known that I'm gay, openly gay. Uh, I mean, it's everywhere in my website, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Google, on uh, any any profile that was written about me. So they, uh, I mean, I became friend of many. They introduced me. Then I became, I was able to live in the Vatican. I had my own room there. Uh, I mean, in the apartment of somebody, but still it was, uh, uh, I mean, I was able to go there whenever I want. I had also a key and so on. Um, so basically, step by step, I created this uh, friendship and uh, and then I was able to to meet more than uh, 45, I think, cardinals, uh, 50 bishops, uh, hundred of priests, and Swiss guard, and and Vaticanist journalists, and so on and so forth. So the book is more about looking at the in the closet kind of behavior of the people in the Catholic Church, not really about this other more scandalous bit with which it's the sexual abuse there's two like two separate things or do they mix my book is not about sexual abuse that's not my subject and i'm not in a way interested i mean of course i'm interested as a as a citizen but uh, my book was not on that uh, and because of for a very simple reason there is no link between homosexuality and sexual abuse the majority of uh, the abuse in the world are made mainly by by girl but, sorry by men on girls uh, by men on women and the victims are mainly women and, and girls uh, so that's a totally different subject however it is true that in the catholic church the victims are 
specifically in a very idiosyncratic way, mainly uh, men. I mean, 80 to 85 percent of the victims are men or, or girls. Uh, sorry, 80 to 85 percent are men or boys. Uh, and the question is, why is that? Again, my book is not on that, but in a way it gives some answer. I think the answer, the first answer is the culture of secrecy, the lie about the sexuality, and the fact that the church is pretending that people are chaste where they are, when they are not. And even when they are chaste, they are quite often very sick people. I met a lot of sick people, extremely sick. And I don't say they, they abuse people, I, I don't know, and again, I'm not a judge, but I see how easily in a system of lie and secrecy, the, the pedophile will be protected by the system, even though, if we want to be, uh, to be honest, the system is not done. And the goal of the system, of course, is not to protect the pedophile, but they do it, it, do, it does it because the system has been created about lie and about uh, secrecy. There is another, another thing, is because uh, when you recruit people saying you cannot marry, you cannot have sex with women, the gay people are very happy to enter the church. And for thousands of gay, it was extremely, for, for, for millions of priests actually, for millions of priests, it was extremely uh, easy to become priest because that's, that's something a gay person will like in the 1930s or 40s. If you say to, to a straight guy, be careful, you cannot be married, you will be not happy to become a priest. If you say that in the 1930s or 1940s to, to a priest, be careful, you know, if you become priest, you cannot get married. They are so happy. The gay priests are so happy because that's exactly what they want. They want to not to get married. They are not attracted by women. And the church is a safe place for them. And uh, the people of that generation also still maybe, even though society has changed, do they still believe in in that it's uh, like a disease or wrong or something like that, like they used to believe in, in the 100 years ago? I mean, first of all, a lot of them uh, are old. And when, you know, in France, we have 800 priests that die every year. And we have less than 50 that are ordinate. So it means that the, the priests are more and more very old. So they are still in the, you know, a lot of them were born before the 1968 movement, before sexual liberation. So they are still thinking that way. For the young one, that's very, I mean, you have many answers to, ans to answer your question. Um, some are very radical, especially right-wing, and, and they basically want, they don't even want to discuss if they are gay or not. They go to the church because they are right they are right wing so the church gives them an identity but first of all they are fascist or they are extremely right people another category are people that don't know well their sexuality and that's actually a very bad issue we we believe that uh, the study we have they are not very good because we don't have good studies but basically the studies that exist shows that a majority, basically 50% of the priests are either 
straight with sexuality or gay with sexuality and accept in a way that. But we have another 50% that profoundly believe that they don't know. They don't know who they are. They don't even know their sexuality. And I think that's extremely bad because that's also the explanation of the sexual abuse crisis. I mean, if a priest is gay or if a priest is uh, openly gay, I mean, openly, he knows that he's gay. He, he goes to clubs, he meets people, he has even prostitutes. Or if he's, he's, he's straight and he has girlfriend. And then or they don't know they are straight. They don't even know what they want, who they are. And in, in this kind of people in very big trouble about their sexuality, then you have the, the, the core uh, issue of the sexual abuse. What was it like to live in the Vatican? How much access did you have? Or was it restricted areas? Uh, the, the Vatican, you know, it's a, it's a small town. So when you're inside... There is a shop. There is a post office. There is the the, the firefighters. You 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 can work, walk in the park in the in the places. Of course, you don't go to the the apartment of the Pope, uh, neither to the former Pope Benedict XVI, and it's uh, it's under control by Swiss Guard and by the Gendarmeria. But when I lived in the church in the Vatican, not not in the beginning. In the beginning, I was not able to live there. But later, I had my my room. I had my key, and with the key, I can enter the the Vatican without any control, going to my my apartment or going to see other people in the building and the other building. So it's a town, you know, it's not, uh, uh, it's not the White House. It's really much bigger. So in a way, um, it's, uh, then you have your friends and you go out to dinner, to lunch. They come back with you. You go with them for the breakfast in the place where everybody has a breakfast. You can invite people to, I invite some of my friends that live with me inside the Vatican. So things are pre, because it's not, I mean, You have thousand, a few thousand, maybe, I don't know, one or two thousand people living there. And they have their family. They have their friends that can come. So it's not, uh, uh, I mean, we are not in jail. We are not in, uh, uh, so it's, when you're inside, the control are not so big, except, of course, if you want to to go to the, the, the apartment of the Pope. But, but uh, is there a, a checkpoint into the Vatican City or can you just walk in and out of to Rome and... Uh, no, of, of course, when, I mean, the Vatican, first of all, is not, uh, as you know, it's a different country. We are not in Italy. We are in the city of the Vatican. So every main door uh, and every main road entering the Vatican is, of course, extremely restricted. You need a permit, an invitation, uh, and you have both the Swiss Guard and then the Gendarmeria. So there is a double checkpoint. But when you, when you already live there, when, when they accept you, you can easily uh, enter and, and exit by special doors that are for the people living in the Vatican and there, there is no control. Who are the people living there except the people who are priests and cardinals? Is it like the people who work f- for the church or...? Basically, I mean, I'm not, uh, I don't know because I haven't... Uh, Uh, met everybody, of course, but I think it's mainly priests, uh, cardinals, bishops, archbishops, sisters. You probably have a few lay people, for example, some journalists in the, uh, the the main newspaper of the Vatican, um, the Osservatore Romano, 
lived in, in, in the Vatican as well. I, the Swiss Guard, of course, live also in the Vatican. I assume there is a few other people, maybe some, some sisters, but even, you know, the maid, the, the woman uh, that clean the apartment or, or cook are in general sisters quite often. So I would say probably, again, I don't have the statistics and I haven't done this, this job and research, but I would say it's mainly priest or related religious people living in the Vatican. But of course, all these people are uh, also have their family and they also have their friend. And all of them in general are pretty, have pretty big apartments. So because of that, they invite their friends and family. And so you have people from outside that live also in the Vatican, but probably uh, not permanently and also probably not with, um, I would say, um, uh, I mean, it's probably not, for example, for me, it was not possible to rent an apartment or, or it's, it's never been my apartment. It has been always a room that uh, a cardinal and then a bishops uh, gave me uh, for, for free to stay with them. So I was in the apartment of somebody else. It's quite, it's quite interesting how the things Jesus was preaching about uh could become something like the Vatican because it's almost the opposite of when it comes to material wealth or or you know he he, he basically said his church was anywhere but you have the Vatican which is uh, this massive structure i mean every organization i mean it's true for big bank or big country china russia uh, for the Communist Party in Cuba, for big corporation, whatever. I mean, the, when, when you are in the core of the system, uh, the head of the institution, it's uh, more. I mean, it's richer, it's bigger, it's more centralized, more uh, uh, more security. So, uh, I mean, the Vatican and the Catholic Church in general is not a decentralized organization. It's a very top-down organization. There is nothing as a bottom-up movement in the church. It is uh, a very um, hierarchical structure. But, uh, but that's also what is interesting for me. For example, you see that uh, you have a lot of gay priests everywhere, but uh, you have much more gay priests in the Vatican than anywhere else. So why? It's because there is a, a way of recruitment, promotion, attraction, uh, and maybe uh, droit du seigneur, as we say, that explains to some extent this promotion to the people uh, in the direction of, uh, of, the, of the head of the church. I've been to like mosques and I felt uh, even though I'm not a Muslim, I could sense the spiritual energy in this beautiful mosque. And I've also been to uh, a Buddhist like temple and, you know, you, you could sense the if I was a Buddhist, I could feel that, oh, this is this would be a very good place to pray or meditate. Do you I've never been in the Vatican, but do you get is there like a spiritual uh, ambience there or does it just feel like a royal castle no i mean uh, you know you have to understand and i, I have to be clear on that uh, and i probably haven't been uh, <laughs> since we we speak tonight uh, the fact that you are gay or even if you have a girlfriend you're straight and you have a girlfriend it doesn't mean in any way that you're not a good catholic i never believed that the fact you're gay you you will be 
less a priest or less a good bishop. On the contrary, quite the contrary, I do believe that among the most wonderful cardinals I've met, many of them, I mean, for example, Cardinal Jean-Louis Torrent, um, in my book I don't mention the fact that he's gay, but uh, because he was at that time still alive, now, now he's, uh, he's dead, so I can speak a bit more. Uh, Torrent is wonderful. I mean, I met him many, many times. He, he was a, a, a pure, uh, perfect figure of somebody that believed, and he was all the time when he met me, speaking the truth, uh, being uh, kind with, uh, I mean, the way he speaks about Jewish, about Muslim, about uh, uh, Protestant and Orthodox has been always an extremely, with a lot of empathy. He was in charge of the congregation on the Conseil Pontifical for to, to speak with other religions. So that was his job. And he was a marvelous man. I also knew that he had a boyfriend, and we knew also he was sometimes, uh, when he was younger, uh, in some parks to, to meet a boyfriend and, and so on, but doesn't matter for me. I mean, the fact that uh, he was gay, it's not a problem. I, I think he is an extremely wonderful cardinal. So the, the, I don't see a contradiction between being gay or being straight with a girlfriend and being priest, I think it, it can work well together. This is why, actually, that's a scandal that the church still doesn't allow them to, to be married, doesn't allow the women to become priests, doesn't allow people to be gay, because that's already the case, and it's just as to be to be to be changed to go to the truth and not to to keep this lie. Do you think it's possible for the Vatican in the future to just? Uh, be as it is, you know, like open, open about all these things and not have it be an issue. You know, uh, as I said in in the beginning, I my I don't have an agenda. So my goal is not to to obtain that. I mean, if they don't want to marry people, if they don't want to accept gay people, I mean, in a way, it's their problem. I mean, I wrote my book, but it's not my my obsession to to change the church. However, as a, as a sociologist, I will say that I do believe the church has, will have to change, and not even for moral issue, but for sociological one. As I told you before, in Spain, in Italy, in Germany, in France, there is no priest. And in 10 years, there will, no priest will exist. So the end of the vocation is not just small. It's a total disparation. Uh, when I when I was a young French uh, kid, and I, I was a bit Catholic when I was uh, young until age uh, 11 or 12, you know, we had three or four masses every Saturday and Sunday in the village, okay? I grew up in a little village. Now, there is one mass every three weeks, and it's totally empty. So that's the end of Catholicism, at least in France, and also to some extent in uh, in uh, in UK, in Germany, in Netherlands, in Belgium, in Italy, and in France, and in Spain. Uh, I know also that some other area, like in the US, thanks to Mexican people, in Mexico, in Brazil, in some countries, in Africa, in Asia, in Lebanon, uh, the Catholic Church is growing. So. The, the the pictures is probably not that black, but uh, there is also hope in terms of church. But 
I do think that the Catholic Church will have to change their rules if they just want to have priests in the future. Otherwise, uh, I mean, what does it mean to be a church without anyone in, in churches? So uh, can you mention your book again and also where people can buy it? Uh, my book uh, is called uh, In the Closet of the Vatican. It's um, it's a book, uh, and the title is in, in French is Sodoma. So Sodoma in French and In the Closet in the Vatican in English. I mean, the book is everywhere in, in bookshop. You know, I don't want to say that, but just to for you to realize a bit how... Uh, this subject is hot. Um, my book was a bestseller in 15 countries. We were New York Times bestseller, and we stay bestseller number one in France for nine or ten weeks. If I say that, it's not just about sale. It's also about the reaction of people. I got and still get around 10 letters every day by priests, by people who have been in the church, by former um, choir members, former seminarians, and so on and so forth. And people are, are, are writing me. In general, they are very, very friendly. I mean, 95%, maybe 98% of the letters are very friendly. In general, they, they, they begin their letters about, you know, your book was good, wonderful, it changed my life. And then after a few lines, they tell me their story. Quite often, for one, two, three, I got some letters of 70 pages. So people just write, not about me, but about their own life. That is a, is a kind of reaction they have. They, they are confident with me because of the book I wrote, and they just realize that what I tell them, which is massive, It was also their own little life. And it's so moving to see people that I don't even know. Sometimes I'll, they said, you know, I write the letter, but I don't give you my name or my address because I am a priest and I don't want you to, to know who I am. But they, they have the, the necessity to write 70 pages to a journalist and, a, and an academic they never met. So that's the problem of a lie like that. When you lie so much for so long, when the speech is opening, people are just uh, speaking. And the system is, uh, in a way, i i at the end of uh, what it can, uh, it can... I mean, they cannot secure anymore the speech. Especially uh, in 2020, when... Uh, we have social network, we have Facebook, we have tape recorder, we have camera, we have the press that publishes things, we have testimony, we have the justice and the police that act. So the, the secret and the lie is not possible anymore. That's also the big change. Maybe in a few generations the Vatican will have its own pride parade. Maybe it will change completely. Uh, it seems like they are. you're supposed to confess to the priest but in this case it seems like they are writing you and confessing to you it's quite interesting first of all i hope they are not confessing me because i'm not giving them any pardon you know i'm not going to tell them you have to to make your uh, you know your your notre dame notre père qui est aux cieux or je vous salue marie or this kind of things I, I'm, i'm not a priest uh, and i'm not even a psychanalyst or whatever uh, i mean who, who knows uh, you know the church in the beginning there were 12 people 
and they succeed. So I'm not afraid by the future of the church. I think the church will survive whatsoever. I mean, again, even if there are just 12, they are going to be able to rebuild everything. But I, I do think that in 2020, uh, truth has to be said. And honestly, I mean, I, I know some people don't like me, especially in the Catholic Church, but I'm still speaking with people, even in the Vatican. I speak with Cardinal. I still have lunch. And you know, the Pope spoke about my book uh, in a, in a, in a discussion uh, which was private, but has been made public by the people. Uh, and many articles in the US or in Latin America or in Catholic newspaper uh, mentioned what the Pope said. The Pope said about my book. First, I read it. Second, that's okay. Third, I knew everything. So things will change or not. I'm not afraid for the future for the church. But I do think uh, the one that really, I mean, I'm not a believer. I'm a lay person. And for me, God doesn't exist. I mean, I, I prefer uh, one poem of Arthur Rimbaud than all, that all the Bible uh, altogether. You know, I'm, I'm a totally lay person. But one day, I'm pretty sure people will say, you know, this guy was actually somebody that helped the church. Because telling the story and telling this secret will help the church at the end. I'm not against the church. I think I have the right to criticize it. I think I have the right to, uh, to, to tell the truth. And I won't accept as a journalist and as an academic that anyone can tell me that truth cannot be said, but it's not to destroy them. On the contrary, I think they will be better if they understand the, the trap in which they are now locked. Great. Thank you a lot for taking the time to talk to me. A bientôt. Goodbye. Thanks a lot. Check out his website, frederickmartel.com. Before I continue, I have a short announcement. Uh, MAPS is having a hard time finding enough quality people to fill all of their needs right now. And MAPS is the Multiplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. Uh, so if you're looking for a job, go to maps.org forward slash participate forward slash careers. As I said before, today is a day for people to gather together and watch the skies for UFOs. At least if you're listening when this episode came out, July 2nd, 2020. Yet I feel there is a lot of unidentified stuff down here on Earth that we should look at. For instance, the amount of gay people in the Vatican. Or perhaps something else that people have started to identify more and more. Something in the summer of 2020 that is on everybody's lips. Something I actually stand behind. In like 1993, I'm, I, I'm not sure what year it was, but I was in LA, I had smoked a joint, and I was watching the movie Apocalypse Now. It was like just after four o'clock in the morning, and what, what, what later would become the known the Northridge earthquake happened. It felt like it started in my apartment. It was absolutely terrifying. And I was certain that I might very possibly die. And matter of fact, I remember 
I made a point not to scream. Just in case I lived, I wouldn't have to remember myself being vocally terrified. But I forgave myself for being terrified. That earthquake couldn't have been more than 35 seconds. This man kneeled on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Can you imagine that? Fuck the police coming straight out the underground. A young nigga got his bad cause I'm proud. And I'm the other cover so police think they have the authority to kill a minority. Some say there are a few rotten apples. But I prefer to quote Dr. Robert Higgs. And I quote. The whole good cop, bad cop question can be disposed of much more decisively. We need not enumerate what proportion of cops appears to be good or listen to someone's anecdote about his uncle Charlie, an allegedly good cop. We need only to consider the following. One. Every cop has agreed as a part of his job to enforce laws, all of them. Two, many of the laws are manifestly unjust and some are even cruel and wicked. Three, therefore every cop has agreed to act as an enforcer of laws that are manifestly unjust or even cruel and wicked. Thus, there are no good cops. I want to close this episode with a track called Videotapes, which is a song by Nick Lutzko, constructed of lines from the awesome film American Psycho. I'll see you all soon. Hashtag ACAB, hashtag 1312. Freedom is in the mind. Do not wear that outfit again. But if you want to keep your Because I want to fit in Sorry, you're just not terribly important to me Did you know that when you used to dip you up me? Have phone on the one single song Did you know that, Christy? There are no girls with good personalities I don't think we should see each other anymore Some